If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity blah. The blubbity blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. NASA was being used to take the STS up and then deploy these Air Force satellites that are connected to this new investigation black project to research what's coming into our solar system from the periphery. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. We are going to be chatting with Gary and Darcy a little bit later about uh, crop circles and UFOs and documentary films and all that fun stuff. Fantastic chat. We got, uh, Graham's got some papers here. He's looking pretty official today. <laughs> hey, buddy, look at this. I found Confidential. Old pa- I found old papers. Where'd you find them? It just, uh, I was going through stuff looking for some old... Uh, some old papers, but not this type. But I found these. I found these old papers that I must have had from the nineties, like conspiracy nineteen eighty seven. Like this is back before internet, and and this is a a special center for action intelligent report by Bo Gritz. And then Bo there's, Gritz. A, there's a confidential uh, operation black? operation majority uh, William Cooper. William Cooper. It's Research file, Groom Lake, Nevada. I mean, I was just like, wow, what are these? These are all like this is papers that I must, have, I must have ordered from a... <clears throat> oh, you think you ordered these on the line? Well, I might have got them from like the UFO organizations back in the mid-90s, maybe. I'm Oper- not sure. Like Operation Majority. Yeah. Confidential. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. This is the I font mean, they went with? I, Milton William Cooper. Yeah. So that's Bill Cooper. I solemnly stuff. swear that, to the best of my knowledge, I swear that I saw this information in 1972 in the performance of my duties as a member of the intelligence briefing team of the commander in chief of the Pacific Fleet as a petty officer in the U.S. Navy. Anyways, I mean, I thought, so I highlighted a couple of things from this intelligent report. Because it's very prescient, actually. It's it's pretty amazing. And then this conspiracy thing. This is a, a transcript of a talk given by Jud- John Judge in Berkeley, California, 87. And yeah. it's pretty – I there's some things in there I was thinking about you. Like there's some stuff in there about Hitler and – world. so I thought, you know, I'll highlight some of it and I can play around with it for a couple episodes on the project operation. There you have it. Yeah. Where did you find – so where did you find them? Just in an old box? Well, uh, in an old bag box, yeah, kind of like. But I had an old some stuff from my dad, for what example, some old that? stuff from just some stuff about from my dad, back previous work stuff that my dad would hand me. Was your dad a conspiracy guy? Uh, no, not really. Well, he was pretty open minded, you know, but he wasn't a conspiracy guy. I mean, he, I don't know. That was kind of before conspiracy. I mean, Those aren't his files, though. They're no, yours. they're not. They're mine. I think. Yeah, from the MUFON days. Early probably, 90s? probably early nineties. Yeah, probably. You're really going down the rabbit hole. I, I know. That's what I was thinking. I mean, look at I had this stuff. Like, oh my god, they were talking about this stuff. How many years ago now? Thirty years ago, almost 25, 30 years ago. 
87 would be like uh well 87 is more than 30 and 34 yeah, years ago 34 but, years but i mean ago. early now i that, that's when this was i'm sure that i got this later on i wasn't really into this stuff in the 80s it was in the 90s really there you have it graham's got his little paper collection there out of boy like this this one from for example this one from bo gritz here is bo uh, gritz this is, is from april 1990 one of the best kept secrets in the world is that an unelected elite has ruled america for decades Ours is now a government of, by, and for a powerful clique of megabuck people who use tax-exempt foundations, ivory tower universities, and national news media to chart a course toward a one-world socialist state. Socialism, you say, is contrary to capitalism? Not so when you consider the words of John D. Rockefeller. Competition is a crime. Under a one-world socialist system, a colossal monopoly would be created in favor of the industrial giants with insatiable greed. This power has already reduced our legal government to mere tools of implementation. <laughs> I mean, what? Like 30 years later, 31 years later, look what's happening. What's happening? Unbelievable. COVID? It's happening. COVID? Well, yeah, it's the tool. It's the tools of, imp- that's the tool of implementation. It's all happening. Some people would argue. All happening. The Council on Foreign Relation and its domestic sisters, the Committee for Economic Development and the Trilateral Commission, use tax-exempt foundations to fund private think tanks that plan policy moves that will keep all governments on a collision course with a one-world order. Once policy has been decided, the inner circle use our legitimate executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government to expedite these movements. The fourth estate news media serves to sell new programs to a naive public. Like that was before the media. Like the media is so much worse than it had to be. So much worse than it was thirty-one years ago. I mean, lately it's just been out of control, full-blown out of control. We, the unjabbed, are the pandemic. I'm not unjabbed. So they go through a whole bunch of like corporations and the CFR has 2,500 members select by invitation only. It is to the USA that the politi- what the Politburo is to the USSR, serving as the propaganda arm of this shadow government are the heads of all major American media. Example, Thornton Bradshaw, RCA, Boone Arledge, ABC News, William Paley, CBS, Henry Miller, Time, Richard Smith, Newsweek, Peter Bernstein, U.S. News and World Report, Max Frankel, New York Times, Catherine Graham, Washington Post, Thomas Johnson, L.A. Times, also David Brinkley, Charles Collingwood, Dan Rather, Barbara Walters, John Chancellor, David Shore, dot, dot, dot. Decisions made by this American Politburo are carried out by the elected officials by elected officials whose offices are bought by CFR backing. So demanding our real taskmasters that so demanding are our real taskmasters that segments within the executive branch have been bypassing our constitutional system, justifying any means in order to accomplish CFR stated ends. Alfred McCoy's book, The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia, specifically reveals how CIA trafficking in opiates to fund an expansion in the Vietnam War into Laos and Cambodia, effectively circumventing a liberal Congress refusal to approve the CIA's proposed operations. In his book, carefully documented The Crime of Patriots, former Wall Street Journal staff Jonathan Quitney revealed for the first time how the CIA set up the Nugent Hand Bank in Australia specifically to launder their drug funds. 
I just, I don't, it just, it's, is it not? So I just, okay. Like since I'm on this, I'm just going to, just going to read the last paragraph here. So, cause to me, this seems, this seems like it aged very well, you know, 31 years later, like were they talk, were, I didn't think they were talking about the drug war, the drug trafficking back then in the in 90. Well, wasn't that, when was Iran-Contra? Well, that was before that, but okay. Their economy will benefit. The Japanese will benefit. The CFR will have, will take another step toward its objective of a one world government. As usual, the people will pay the price in lives and otherwise to grease the wheels of those who would take care of us and turn us into a nation of sheep. The impl- implications of this kind of international manipulation are so far reaching as to portend a mere insidious level of interference with unsuspecting populations. Closer to home, if we had wanted unilateral decision-making, we would have installed a king in 1989 instead of a president. Is it too late to breathe life back into the Constitution? Is America doomed to become USA Inc.? Isn't it time we neutralize the non-elected power that manipulates the strings of power in Washington, D.C.? Is there hope? Are we helpless against the secret combination that is in a death grip? (laughs) How as individuals can we hope to win against such enormous and impossible odds? <laughs> 31 years ago. What's that noise? It's military to me. Definitely <clears throat> military. Probably classified too. Dishfire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Is there a name for that? MK Ultra. For that operation? Operation Project. A special center for action intelligence report by Colonel Bogretz, nineteen ninety. Bogretz, I bet Bogretz is black. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I didn't want to get derailed because there's a big congratulations here for you and your book that just came out. So for me. I mean, yeah, dude, we should be talking about oh, that. That's okay. We could save that for later. No, no, no. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Okay. A Canadian shame. So Darren just released his book, first book. Congratulations, buddy. My you first book. Well, yeah. Maybe my only book. Maybe. No, you got another one in you. Think so? Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. I got another one in there. You got some ideas. Yeah, it came out on well, the 22nd. Yeah, good. How's it going so far? Seems all right. Yeah. There was a nice uh, bump in the beginning. I sent out the newsletter and stuff. A bunch of people bought it. It's tough to say how many because they won't tell me until they ship. But yeah. you know, it looks like, you know, I think like 50 or so have shipped already. So that's a good start. I got a bunch of copies coming here to the house. I got or to this the head office. I guess his head office as well. Sixty coming to head office. Um, because I got we got the website up at CanadianShame.ca. You can go there. There's a, a button you can click to order order signed copies if you want that, or you can just go to Amazon and and get it there. And I hope you do because. Yeah, I kind of had the option to maybe go down some publishing routes, and I decided against it. So now I'm hoping that doesn't turn out to be a huge mistake. So hopefully you guys can maybe rate it, review it, share it around, buy a couple copies, give some away. When do you foresee the audio version coming out? Probably within two weeks. Two weeks? It's already submitted. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Holy. So it's submitted and waiting for approval. Wow, that's good. So it should be within 10 business days as per their standard, and that'll be out on Audible and wherever wherever else, audiobooks. I think it's Audible, iTunes, and Amazon are the three places. You can get that. Of course, the main place you get the book right now is Amazon. 
until I get my copies. And like I say, I hope you do so we can bump it up when I, I mean, the other day when everyone was buying it, it bumped up into the top thousand books in Canada for a while. It's since fallen out after that bump. But if, uh, you never know, there's way more listeners than there is people watching the socials and everything else. Yeah, so if yeah. all you guys go out and grab a copy or two and leave a review or a rating, then it would yeah. go, uh, a long way and maybe helping pushing it out into the algos. Have we talked about the residential schools lately on this feed? Was the net on this feed? No, I don't think no. we have. Well, he was a year ago. I mean, that was a year ago. So we did we did touch this like just over a year ago at the beginning of COVID. Right. Uh, it would have been the spring of 2020. But I don't think we've talked about it lately a lot. But there, on our other show on the Outlawed, we did mm-hmm. talk about it with Joanne Bean, and we we also talked to Kevin and Ed again recently. We have another couple shows on it coming up. So, what made you like? What made you decide to write the book? I'm not sure. I was kind of like, well, I couldn't. Were find, you intrigued by the timeline of the Indian Act and stuff, or like I couldn't find the uh, Indian Act. That was what really started is I couldn't find a good copy of the Indian Act online. The older versions. The original version. So I found a dude in India, ironically, to retype the whole thing for me. The 465 pages was all the Indian Acts um, up until up until 1985, I think, which I still want a PDF and I haven't got. I'm waiting for my – I'm locked out of the website right now and the web developer is camping. So when he gets back on Monday, hopefully I can get in the website because I want to put all the PDFs that I've got now and I'm going to make them all freely available on that website. On the Canadian Shame website? On a Canadian Shame website? Yep. Okay. CanadianShame.ca. I'll have the bibliography from the book there as well. And uh, That's a good idea. And then the PDF of all the, the, old, all the, the old Indian Acts. Of all the old Indian Acts. Yeah. So, so give us an example of one of what's some of the stuff that people don't really realize was in the Indian Acts from back then. Like, well, you'd have to get the book, I guess. Well, the big one right now is the residential schools because that's kind of forefront. Is that for up until the '60s, it was mandatory. From the late 80, 1800s to the 1960s, it was mandatory to go to school, boarding school or residential school. From the time you were six or seven until the time you were 16, sometimes 18, where you'd go and you'd stay away from your parents. Sometimes you had to go home at the summer. Other times you wouldn't. You'd maybe go to a working farm or something like that. Wow. And uh, you weren't allowed to speak your own languages. You weren't allowed to – you'd be separated from your siblings. And you got raised into Christianity. You got given different names. Given, given a number. Names. Yeah. Given a number, tracked. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Because it was a tracking thing before the residential schools, even right on the reserves, right? They were trying. Well, to Well, that try was yeah. Tra- that was that was never in the act, though. The pass system. Yeah. That was just uh, for like forty years or fifty years. They were just doing that. They just implemented. It was never legislated, but they just implemented as policy where you couldn't leave the reserve without a pass. Wow. Which is maybe where we're headed now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're right back <laughs> there. Hey, passes. we just never learn, right? I mean, that nobody really. Well, I mean, that's kind of why it's good timing. Is ex- maybe ex- people realize that if we're not that far removed from all this craziness, then yeah. So, yeah. so this is so. Let me get this straight because people, I it took me a while to really grasp it. I mean, I lived in in near Indian reserves uh, in Vancouver Island for a while. Um, I didn't realize that this was happening. Back then, this would have been the 80s when I lived there. No, the 70s, actually. 70s. 
seventies and eighties. Yeah. yeah. So so people so they they would come and get like so that it was it was mandatory. Yeah, the Mounties would come and take you away. Mounties would come and take kids from their parents. Throw them on a train throw, or a plane. Yeah, or, and take them to these residential schools where they would stay and basically lose their culture. Yeah, or some would run away and a lot of them get tuberculosis and die. Well, and then there's the whole, I mean, this gets into the controversial aspect of it where, you know, your book has all these apologies in there from the from the Alberta premier, the, the two prime ministers, and they don't much, acknowledge the murder. They don't acknowledge any of the real nefarious stuff that happened. It's very much just source documents. It's a lot of source documents in there, in the book. Source documents with a little bit of stuff in between. Yeah. But you've got the timeline of the Indian Act, and you've got the timeline of- Residential schools. Other stuff, residential schools. New timelines in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty eye-opening. It really is pretty eye-opening how racist it was back it then. It crams it all into like 175 pages with the numbers up to today, and now it's sort of turned into the child welfare system, doing the same sort of thing. Right, right. So this was happening over over time. So there was also the, so these unmarked graves are there from so so kids sometimes native kids wouldn't be wouldn't go home, but they'd be sent they they'd be said they were sent home, but they wouldn't make it home. That type of stuff. I mean, it seems to me like there was a lot of who knows. You know. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll ever know the whole truth of what went on, but I mean, the whole things seems to be at risk of going out the window right now. Like the whole history could could very well sort of wipe away. The Canadian government's already sort of started to take all that off of their website. Yeah. You couldn't get the old versions of the act. I mean, yeah. that's how the book started. I started writing a bit of an intro into that, and it just sort of added pages and pages yeah. and pages. Yeah. Because, I mean, I read that this other book of a guest we're going to have on coming up, I hope. And it was very much getting into the UN and the and the and the definitions of genocide and how, you know, there was a real pushback to call it genocide because they didn't want to alienate the the Western civilization. But I mean, it was a genocide. It was a cultural genocide, and it could be other genocides. But I feel like it really got snagged up in the definition of what that is at the UN. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found all the other books out there were kind of overwhelming. You know, three, four, five hundred pages when they don't really need all that. You don't need as much as, I mean, they're great books, but I wanted to kind of keep it all and not be overwhelming. You can get yeah. through it quickly. You can get through it in you know, four or five hours, probably less. And it's very well sourced and it's very well, the table of contents is very well. So you can easily use it to just sort of dart back through stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the big thing, and let's talk about the land a little bit, because, you know, they, they, it, we're, we're sort of, we grow up thinking that, okay, everybody's equal now, and there's not any racism anymore, and all this, uh, or at least in the 80s, that's kind of the way I grew up in this little naive bubble, and that, you know, the, Indians have, the Indians have the reservations, and they get no taxes, and they, they get all these benefits. This is what people think. Yeah. But you don't, there isn't the land, right? I mean, the land is still owned by the government. It's not even by the, by the crown. By the crown. By the crown. Well, I mean, all of it is still technically crown land. Yeah. Which is interesting. And that's, yeah, exactly. And that's what, 90% of Canada's land is crown land? Well, it's either the crowns or the provinces, but I think the, I don't know how that works now. I wonder if the provincial public land is. 
is is overrides crown. the crown or if it's crown yeah or if that's actually alberta public land yeah that's interesting because i think the crown owns like 46 percent, and then the no maybe the provinces own 46 percent of the land but either way it's 88 percent or something percent combined and that includes all the reserves so if you want to own land as an indian you have to leave the reserve in my right and that's one of their ways to get the reserves, get people off the reserves, get them assimilated, right? I mean, a big thing was assimilation. I am, ass- I am assimilated. You're assimilated, yeah. yeah. How does that feel? I mean, I, it is what it is. Privilege? Not much I can do about it now. Write a book, I guess. <laughs> no, but I mean, but this was their goal, right? Assimilation. And if you, yes. if you get people to assimilate, then they can pay taxes. They can own their own land. But then the reserve gets smaller and smaller and there's less people on the reserves. So they, they end up... And the problem goes away. And the problem goes away. And the Indian I problem goes away. I might stop paying taxes, though. Then I'm taking my kids out hunting, whether the government issues them their treaty cards or not. Yeah. Because my tribe accepts them as members of the tribe, and I don't think that's federal government's decision to decide. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, Which I, I think all that's going to switch soon anyway. Well, we'll see what happens, but I don't think that we're really close to any consult. Consul- Conciliation, because no, I don't the land so. the land issue will never ever ever, if as far as the government of the crown's concerned. I mean, the the world is going the opposite. I mean, they want more land. They want to take away a land. They want to take away private land from a globalist perspective. You know, the free freedom, uh, inherent rights, yeah. freedom to have your own land. Like it's not going the other way. So, yeah, but it might. Yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah. But you know, you know, I feel I feel like we're up against, um, and you're up against this this push to get rid of Western civilization as well and turn it into a globalist system of you know you'll own nothing and be happy kind of thing. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I don't think we're close to that in Canada. And then the childcare problem is a, a future, like a current, a contemporary problem. Because most, oh, it's all contemporary problems. I mean, honestly, no, but I mean, like, really recent. Like recently, there was, uh, which you have in your book too, about what happened in what Saskatchewan was it? Well, that's well, that's like sixties and seventies, but that leads right up to the twenty sixteen. The, the last census in twenty sixteen, it's still something like fifty some percent of the kids in childcare. Wasn't it just a shift? Eighty six percent. Eighty six percent of the kids in Saskatchewan are First Nations. I think. Wasn't yeah, but wasn't there just a um, the childcare decision to start getting control of their own childcare? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good step in the right direction. Well, we'll see what happens. What do you mean? We'll see what happens. What do you mean? Well, nothing's happened yet. It's just words. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they just said they were going to do that. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was actually document. Like I thought it was. So we'll see what happens in five years, or ten years, or where it's at. Well, you think they'll stall that long? Well, I don't even know if you can trust the band council systems or not. So we'll see what happens in five or ten years. I'm not going to make any predictions. Yeah. Right. Right. Fair enough. Same as I'm not going to make any predictions on globalist crackdowns or anything like that because. I still don't think Canada has a powerful enough state to consider pulling that stuff off. Well, I mean, we do feel like we've said this over and over and over again. We're in a little bubble here in Alberta. I mean, there's protests going on all over the world right now. I mean, all over Europe, Australia, London. Well, we tried I mean, having a protest here. I've seen the guys protesting downtown. I know, but, but what are you pro- like you well, said? What, what are I you said, protesting? It's wide like, open. We're open. We're <laughs> open for business in a lot of ways. Shut like, down. There's no mask mandate. We're open for business. I mean. They said there's no vax passports, but I mean, and you're up that there could all change. Up and down I mean, that could... Variants. Well, then protest then. I mean, I guess 
You protesting in solidarity? Yeah, that that could be it. Yeah, which but is good. It's tough when you're when your government's saying you're not going to have any vax passports, and if you don't want the shot, you don't need to get the shot, and everything's wide open. I mean, there's a couple stores that are still being fucking Nazis about it. Like Best Buy, I don't think they'll let you with them out, out of mass. Then, but then go mm. protest Best Buy. Yeah, or you know, even better idea would probably just not go to Best Buy anymore. Yeah, boycott Best Buy. Yeah. But they, they just came off as silly to be protesting in the park. And maybe if there, been a, if there would have been a whole bunch of them. It's hard because you want people to be able to protest. And look, we've been through a lot in the last year and a half. So it's good that they're protesting because, you, uh, you know. But what do you protest? Well, I mean. Trudeau. I guess Trudeau. I mean, there is a lot of fear in the media. I mean, you could protest. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, like I said, man, it's a pandemic of the unjabbed. I mean, this is what the narrative is right now. In the our media, uh, down south, uh, our media is, I think, more scared of the variant probably right now. I don't know because I don't pay attention to the media either. But I hear it through. I hear it through other people that I love. You know that because I was right there. I might have walked across the street to check out the protest, but I was just like, "Well, what are we protesting at this point?" So if we still have a chip on our shoulder for the old one, or maybe we we're protesting stampede, maybe. That could have been it. Could have been Stampede. There's a lot of people who weren't happy about that. About what? Stampede. That it was on? Yeah. No, oh, it's just unbelievable. Half the people were mad that it was on because of COVID, and the other people, and the other half of the people were mad that it was on because uh, nothing else had been on up until then. Right, right, right. Can we just divide though into what we want to do? Like, can we just can everybody just do what they want? I went Stampede. Was, uh, you know, twice because it wasn't so crowded. No, yeah. No, I mean like in general, like just if you want to do your, want to have your rules and you have your restrictions and little rules and your little regulations and go ahead and do it. Just restrict yourself. And then just let the, let all of us go. You could just restrict yourself. Yeah. Restrict it. Yeah. When's your book going to be done? Uh, I'm scared. You're scared? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going through some, I'm working on my fear right some now. About apprehension. It. Yeah. I sent it to a couple of people for feedback today, actually, or or no, I, I prepared it for sending it. I, I've got it like half done, but it's 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 kind of weird, dude. Yeah, prepared it for sending, like in, just took it out of what I was writing it in and put it in a document to email it. That's all. All right, I'm I'm putting my story into it. I think so. I'm writing out my story a little bit. Through addiction and intention work and all the synchronicities, not all the synchronicities. I mean, part, but that's part of it, right? That's part of my story. So I'm writing it up on intention, intentional recovery workings, basically. I guess if I say it out loud, maybe I'll, I'll do it. It'll, it'll help me finish it. But I've written quite a bit of it. I mean, it's a small, it's going to be a small book, but it's kind of about intentional recovery groups, you know, small intentional recovery groups using group intention work and alchemical meditations to basically peel away your false selves and become authentic and heal your addictions. Excellent. Yeah. I look the, forward to reading it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of reading, we had our first audio book with Joe Roop come out. Joe Roop, a loop thought forms by Annie Basant. If you want to check out audible, uh, type in Grimerica, that'll pop up thought forms. It's a short one. I think it's only like a couple hours. Two or three hours, three less than three, I think. Even you pop through it, Joe's sexy, sultry voice. Listen to him read a book for once. A couple new grand ones out this week too. Well, I think uh, that art mysticism and logic already came out, 
And Secret Doctrine 2 will come out this week. Secret Doctrine 3 is being worked on right now, which is actually the best of all three, in my opinion, but we'll talk about that later. Hamlet's Mill will be two weeks. I don't think it'll come out this week, probably not until next week. And then also, uh, what was the one? Secret Teachings of All Ages is out. Fantastic tome. Yeah. Yeah, if you guys head over to adultbrain.ca or just head over to Audible, if you're on Audible, and just type in uh, Grammarica, they'll all pop up, which we uh, ask you to do. Or you could type in Graham Dunlop. That'll pop up all the books he's narrated, including the ones that we didn't publish, some for Mark Sloan, some other ones for Eric P. Antoni. Yeah. You can check all that stuff out. Yeah, check out his one. And if you don't have Audible, you can get a free book. I think they give you a free book in a free month these days. So you can go, like, check it out, listen to a book for free, and then then bail. Yeah, some of the meditations I did in the – and I've recorded those, too. I'm going to put them on YouTube. But some of those alchemical meditations come from sort of reworked out of uh, Eric P. Anthony's book, Song of the Immortal Beloved, which is on – there's a new version coming up, the third edition of that. It's It's a pretty deep book about spiritual alchemy. Check that out. Absolutely. Song check, of the Immortal Beloved. Check out grammarica.ca slash sport if you can, when you can. Of course, it's not a free show. It's a value for value show where we try and uh, throw our value out into the world and see if it comes back, if it resonates with you guys, adds a little bit of value to your day, to your commute, to your work day, to your workout, wherever you're listening to the show. And this is my job now. Yeah, if the show is making it better, if you want to support Graham Podcast and full time, we ask that you do sign up for monthly, make a one-time donation. You can always head over to grammericaoutlaw.ca where we have a bunch of other fantastic podcasts, 33 episodes. If you want to just listen to the free show, if you do go sign up for Plus over there, you'll get closer to 40, I think 39 now. Uh, there's Rockfin, grammerica.ca slash rockfin.com slash grammerica. Check that out. What else? That's about that it, I think, yeah. Check out the book if chats, you can. Chats, 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 slash chats. Appreciate you buying the book. If you can buy it, uh, the sooner the better. Buy friends a copy. Share it around. Do what you can. Support the show. And let's get a quote before we get out of here. Oh, this is quite a long one if you want to do it. You want to do it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you get no, oh, I think I might have already told you who, who this quote's from. This is from Bruce DeTorres' book, God, School, 9-11, and JFK. He was like our second or third latest release in Grimerica Elbod. Uh, this is from the JFK chapter. Vocalism, measure, concentration, determination, and the divine power to speak words. Are you full hunged? Full-lunged and limbered, lipped and long trial? From vigorous practice, from physique, do you move in these broad lands as broad as they? Come duly to the divine power to speak words. For only at last, after many years, after chastity, friendship, procreation, prudence, and nakedness, after trending ground and breasting river and lake, after a loosened throat, after absorbing eras, temperaments, races, after knowledge, freedom, crimes— After complete faith, after clarifying, elevations and removing obstructions. After these and more, it is just possible there comes to a man, a woman, the divine power to speak words. Then toward that man or that woman, swiftly hasten all. None refuse, all attend. Armies, ships, antiquities, libraries, paintings, machines, cities, hate, despair, amity, 
pain, theft, murder, aspiration, form in close ranks. They debouch as they are wanted to march obediently through the mouth of that man or that woman. Vocalism. Bruce de Torres. <laughs> no, leaves of Grass. Walt Whitman. <laughs> Walt Whitman. I, now that's I remember. But after that, he said, Bruce has an old quote in here. Yeah. So now I can quote myself. Uh, I was going to find one in your book, but. Were you? Yeah. Would it have been one of mine? Yep. There you have it. There you have it. We love you guys. We uh, hope you enjoy the interview. With who again? Gary and Darcy. Gary King and Darcy. Crop Rear. circles, baby. Crop circles and UFOs and disclosure. And this uh, came out. I we think they're both in Mexico. We recorded this the day. Yeah, they are, I think. Yeah. We recorded this the day after that uh, government UFO memo slash sort of disclosure thing came out. Basically, we talk about it in the show, but basically they're admitting there's stuff they don't know and they want money to investigate. That's right. Speaking uh What's that come out? That what 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 come out? The documentary. One's already out. Aren't they making oh, another yeah. one right now? They're doing something right now down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, or is I'll, he down there doing a podcast or a, some sort of a video show or something? Yeah, there is that too. It's all in the show notes here. It's all in the show well, notes. Yeah. He's a pro. He's got pro show notes. Full time podcaster Graham Dunlop. America.ca slash support to keep him podcasting full time. It'd be a real shame if he had to go back flipping bergs. All right. Enjoy the chat. back we've got uh, darcy weir with us he's a filmmaker from canada on ufos and crop circles and gary king who's a crop circle researcher as well so i'm not going to say too much about uh your guys's bios i won't read them all here we'll get you guys to describe yourselves a little bit but welcome to the show and thanks for coming on to talk about uh, all this fascinating stuff thanks darren it's good to, yes, good to be darcy. here and graham yeah awesome do you want to start darcy just a little bit about yourself and sure um so I've been making documentary films in the line of, uh, in the study of UFO, the UFO realm, so to speak, excuse me, breakfast is not that far away. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, the very first documentary I ever produced, uh, was actually a bit of a biography on a, a guy that was doing lectures at UFO conferences back in uh, the early 90s, uh, a man by the name of Phil Schneider. 
And um, that documentary is called The Underground. Uh, it's basically just covering the theories and the history, the facts surrounding um, underground base building throughout the United States and different parts of the world post-World War II, um, you know, with the help of the Project, Project Paperclip scientists, all that type of thing. Um, then the next sort of documentary I moved on to was covering Sasquatch, Bigfoot, which you guys might be familiar with. Uh, you know, Sasquatch is the Canadian term for Bigfoot. Yeah. And, um, that documentary found, uh, mainstream distribution in 2016. And then I sort of ramped up my production. I've been releasing a few sort of documentaries ever since then, every year, uh, covering different aspects of the UFO phenomenon. Because, you know, it's almost like a multi-layered onion. You got your UFO subject, you got abduction, you've got possible secret space activity that's going on. You've got underground bases, you've got possible collusion with off-world species or, you know, government cover-up. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's so many aspects to this research that you can sit there and make a different documentary every day if you wanted <laughs> yeah. 365 days a year. So, um, that's what I've been doing. I love this stuff. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, some of it's highly credible. Some of it's highly, uh, incredible, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Non-credible <laughs> I would say. Uh, and, um, I think the cryptid subject has also been fun to to discuss and analyze as well. I did two docs on that, and um, and I'm releasing this. Well, the crop circle one came out in March, and I'm releasing a secret space documentary this month, or sorry, in July. Nice. So that'll, uh, that'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Shoot you guys the yeah. link. Yeah. Yeah. So. I guess I want to ask you a question about what you said, but before we do that, we'll get Gary in here. You want to explain uh, a little bit about name, your background, Gary? Sure, sure. My name's Gary King. Um, I used to be a lawyer. Um, I ran a private investigation agency in London in the 90s. Um, and then in 1997, I uh, was taking time off work because I was a bit burnt out and met um, a, a teacher from America who was sort of like a Tai Chi Qigong teacher who was over from the States in England, uh, who was also visiting the crop circles. Uh, and I tagged along with him one day to Wiltshire. I was living in Cardiff at the time. It's about 70 miles away from Wiltshire. Um, went into a crop circle that had appeared the night before. And I suppose figuratively, I could say I never really left after that. I've <laughs> now been, You've been there ever since. <laughs> I've been there ever since. Um, so yeah, I, I really got interested in, in um, I've always been interested in philosophy and you know, I was happy to discover that um, the ancient Greeks used geometry as a tool for philosophy many years ago. So I pursued um, more, more about what the meaning of the crop circles were, what the meaning of the symbols were, as opposed to trying to prove um, that it wasn't man or you know other stuff. I, I, I think I've comprehensively destroyed the argument about men, people making them. Um, so... For me, it's always been about what do they mean? Yeah. 
So Darcy, how do you like you mentioned like incredible and credible and and you know not so credible type of information? I mean, especially nowadays with all the you know the disinformation and and sometimes people throw shit out with the bathwater. Like you know if if somebody's talks about something that it's a known hoax or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're discredited. I mean, how do you address like that? How do you or how do you discern between incredible and not credible and that kind of thing? And and how do you address it? So, <clears throat> unfortunately, mainstream media is still uh, ruling the story on many of these events that have happened in history. And um, crop circles, for example, have been attacked as just being man-made yeah. since the 1990s. Uh, the major campaign to debunk crop circles started with Doug and Dave, yeah. Doug Bauer and, and Dave Chorley. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is that crop circle formation started showing up in deeper and deeper complexity in vaster numbers right around that time. It was almost as if they arrived on the scene perfectly to close it up, package it up and sell it to the public. Yeah. And uh, in this latest documentary, we kind of talk a little bit about that. We, we talk about events where people ha have been convinced that they're completely debunked, but um, there's all kinds of facts that Gary brings to light about, for example, um, the East Field event, the, the one 777 that happened to him. You know, he explains that they were the only ones on top of that hill. There was no one down below them that whole night. You know, they were up till, you know, almost midnight. Then they go to sleep for a few hours. There was this flash of light. The cameras pick it up that are planted there by a researcher. Uh, and as the light just creeps up, they see this massive, um, you know, over a thousand feet or meters, Gary? A thousand feet. A thousand feet in diameter uh, field, uh, a glyph, you know, like massive, multiple linked, circled, perfectly shaped crop circles. So, um, you know, it's events like that, and no one, no one's there to account for making it. There's facts about how you would have made that. Uh, which Gary can go into that would prove, you know, it's almost impossible that somebody would pull that off going unnoticed without damaging the crop um, and not leaving, you know, tire tracks and all kinds of footprints and stuff leading away from the formation uh, in the morning after they were done. But that's an anecdotal. Um, there are massive hoaxes that have happened in uh this field for sure and when you see them you know there's the out in the chilbolton crop circle formation area there's a famous alien head and a disc that yep. is extremely complex it looks like it's literally you know 3d printed into the medium of a crop yeah and there's another alien head formation that showed up in the south of England, uh, that just has the sort of gray alien, you know, has the eyes and it's like, 
got its mouth open and it's just one simple circle with its head in there. Um, and that had all kinds of, you know, it, it, first of all, it showed up way outside of the normal area that we see these messages show up year over year, which, which has a continuity of messaging. Um, and then second of all, it just, it looked poorly made, you know, and it was a simple design. So you can tell, okay, some humans probably made that, but there's examples of really complex crop circle designs that have been made, uh, especially, you know, by the beer company, Asahi, a Japanese beer company. And that crop formation that they made was just a simple beer label. It took, um, how long did it take Larry or sorry, Gary? <laughs> Larry King, if only, um, <laughs> Uh, it took seven days from sunrise to sunset. Oh, wow. It took 40, took 40 professional engineers using very advanced technology, GPS technology. Uh, it's a system called Mayscape, which was developed in England, where you can project a design onto land from space. And then these guys walk around with these kind of poles to tell them where to whack in their stakes and mark the ground in readiness for them to actually cut out the crop using tractors and bush cutters. And it took these guys seven days <clears throat> on how, completely flat field. How big was that? So it's easy. Uh, it was about 750 feet long. It's just a replica of the beer label that SAE beer it cost them a million bucks. <laughs> so it gives you an example of, um, of what goes into actually laying down some crop to make a design. And from above, from the air, you know, you think oh, it's a crop formation, right? But it's when you get down on the ground, you see that they just cut it out using tractors and bush cutters that you realise that it doesn't bear any resemblance to what we know to be um, genuinely mysterious crop circles that appear in three or four hours of darkness in the um, in the summer months of yeah. the I watched the, you know, I watched that, that. That's what I liked about your show. I watched that crop circle one and it, you guys really get into like, you, there's a, a lot of testing that goes on. Like you do, you can discern the difference between one that's man-made and one that's not. Um, and it seems like everybody makes sure that that's, that's looked at prior to like sort of, you know, I mean, there's a difference that you're going to treat them differently when you're analyzing the the design, when you're analyzing all that stuff, right? If you know they're they're human. So, do you want to talk a little bit about how how you guys figure that out? Well, one of one of the added complexities I'll just add to um, the creating a crop circle or a agroglyph, as some people call them, that can be seen from above. And it looks perfect. It looks, um, you know, symmetrical from above. Uh, one of the added complexities is the terrain that you're working on. And Gary's walked through many, many different, I mean, he's been researching for over 20 years. He's walked in over 900 formations as they've shown up over the years. And we discussed one crop circle formation that showed up in a canola field. It was like a big 3D cube revolving in the middle of a sort of flower-shaped circle around it, right? And that canola field formation that showed up that he walks into and analyzes is on a hill. So there you go. You're working on an uneven surface, and yet you're able to make this perfect in the cover of night with out destroying the plants that's the other thing canola plants are like celery stock they're really thick 
It's not like just some simple, hey. And that Asahi uh, marketing campaign that was done, that took all those men, all that time, all that technology, and that was made on a flat field of hay. Okay, so I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that some of these are showing up in ways that just are mind-boggling to us and, and definitely are not made by us. Is that the same one that shows up the next season as well? Oh, you're thinking of the Phantom. Yeah, the Phantom the, one, uh, yeah. The, the fan, that was um, Clay Hill. In 2017, that showed up in just a, a standard field. Of, was that barley or was that wheat, Gary? It was a, the first it was year. Wheat. It was a wheat field. Okay, I'll let Gary explain this one. Yeah, uh, ghost, ghost. Well, we call them ghosts, phantasms, fa- uh, phantasmas. Um, they're they're where a crop circle appears one year um, in in one particular crop, like wheat, for example, with the clay hill formation, and then the following year we can see when we fly over, we can see a ghost or a shadow of the crop circle that was there from the year before. Uh, I researched this quite heavily, and on some occasions, what happens is is that people visit the crop circle and when they trample around inside looking around inside it they knock the seeds off the heads those seeds go into the ground and germinate and create a root mat um and then the following year farming um when they plant seeds these days they use seed drills so a big machine goes along and it drills the seed into the ground and it will invariably the following year it will be a rotation of crop it will be canola which is a much bigger seed We lost him there for a bit. I'll continue quickly. I yeah. think I know what he's going to say. Basically, <clears throat> because of the activity that's produced from us walking around. Yeah, us walking around kind of does it. And so that to me is a very reasonable explanation um, for, for, for what can be uh, the ghost, uh, the appearance of the ghosts. But it doesn't explain um a number of them for example the clay hill one because people don't walk around on every square inch of the crop circle they typically walk down the middle of the avenues and whilst there'll be some spread of the seeds it won't delineate the the lines um you know because they they just don't walk over every square inch they're too vast for them to do that that's number one number two is i've got several photographs of um flights that were taken in february so the, the crop season ends around August, September. Then we have the winter months where the fields are barren. And then in February, March, January, February, March, we'll get snow often in the UK. And you fly over the landscape and, and, and the whole landscape is white. But where the design of the crop circle is, you can still see the perfect geometric shape because the snow won't settle where the crop circle um, has appeared. That So that doesn't get explained by the, um, the root map theory. Mm. What do you guys think? I mean, do you think that, especially with all this, uh, I mean, I wanted, I do want to ask you about the, the sort of disclosure document that came out. I mean, if you, I don't know if you guys would even consider that disclosure or whatever, but I mean, since you guys are on here and you kind of do shows on UFOs and the crop circles are connected sure. to UFOs, I mean, I, I read through that. What do you think? I mean, and then I'd like to get into, I mean, if this is, well, you know, an ET thing or not, or if it's technology that we just don't even and can't comprehend that the... Uh, or if we can talk back to him. I mean, remember we talked to the circle maker yeah. years ago. I forget his name even. Matt something, maybe? Maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. 
And I was going to make, we have crops like a hundred, couple hundred feet this way. And I want to make a Grimerica crop circle. Mostly just for branding and, uh, and the marketing. Graham is very against the idea, very against. So I'm curious, while we've got your guys here, what about these humans? Because we know, first of all, I'm looking at some of these and I, I agree that some of them are just too crazy. Just too crazy, unless there's this just giant underground crop circle crew that this is their life and they just like live for making crop circles. Maybe that's the thing that could be a possibility, but I don't think so. But humans are making a bunch of these, obviously. So which came first? Because I mean, there's there's so many ancient rituals that would have left weird patterns in the dirt, you know, the dancing rituals, the different things like that. So you wonder if like, you know, do you guys have an instance on which came first? Did the crop circles from humans come first or some sort of the Nazca lines type things? And then the crop circles started coming or is it the other way around? Because I feel like ancient man didn't have a way to appreciate them. Um, they need to be seen from above. They're not appreciated like the Nazca lines. You have to rise above um, them to be able to see them. When you're standing inside, them, you can't tell what they are at all. Oh, okay. <clears throat> when they first when they first began to appear in the seventies, they were just simple standalone circles. Which, um, which and when I use the word simple, um, a lot of people don't understand the profundity philosophically of what is a circle. But you would find. So we take flights over. Oh, I wasn't around at this time, but colleagues who would who were would take flights across the landscape of southern England, and you would see thousands of these circles as if somebody had flicked a, a paintbrush across the landscape and made all these perfect circles. And as Darcy was alluding to earlier, most of the terrain of of this of this area is not flat ground. It's it's an undulating, uneven ground, and so they're not actually circles when you measure them. They're ovals, so that they look like circles from above. So whoever constructed these formations in these early days knew that the topography of the land had to be considered so that people would appreciate them as circles. And that largely went unreported for a very long time. There were just a few researchers, Colin Andrews, Pat Delgado, Busty Taylor, who was a pilot who flew around at that time and started to document them. So I can't definitively say whether people decided what we'll do is go out into the fields and uh, and make thousands and thousands of circles and, and 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 over the next twenty years we'll get the public interested and once they do get interested then we'll start in advancing into more complex geometry. My view is is that people didn't start making them until the phenomena took off and then we needed an explanation, one that gave us a way of being able to. Um, let it go because I've seen a lot of people go quite crazy when they try to hold on to the fact that this isn't a man-made enterprise when you don't have an explanation I mean, a lot of people make the leap to UFOs and, and aliens that must be aliens right if, you, if it's not man it's got to be aliens right you don't you don't have this place where you can hover in the middle and go well I don't know maybe it's this maybe it's that a lot of people can't handle mystery in that way they need to know and so I, I think that the man-made thing is is a, is a way of giving people a good get-out to just be able to say, okay, it's man-made, I can get back to the football and get back to paying the mortgage and so on. Um, 
I, I suppose I would add to that that with over 7,000 plus crop circles worldwide and the vast majority of those being in southern England, um, I'm always, you know, because I'm considered to be an expert on crop circles, I'm always asked when a crop circle appears, is this one man-made? Is this one man-made? Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like, you know, it's like Christmas presents, right? You want to rip off the wrapper and throw it over your shoulder once you've made, got some, someone else's opinion. But if you consider the 7,000, and you say, okay, let's make three piles of photographs on the table in front of us here. Let's put the ones over there that we, we think are man-made, right? Yeah, because yeah. they had damage to the crop and they yeah. weren't very geometrically perfect and so on and so forth. Let's put those over there. Let's, let's put the ones we're not sure about in the middle. And let's put the ones over here to the right that we absolutely cannot explain because the crop wasn't damaged. It's geometrically perfect. It's solved a mathematical problem that hasn't been solved in history before, such as squaring the circle. And we just don't know where they are. Let's talk about those. Let's talk about those ones. And very few people want to. Really? I mean, cause yeah. that, that's exactly what goes through my mind when I'm watching your movie, I'm thinking we need to separate all these out, but then there's the consciousness aspect of the people that have even made them man-made. Sometimes where do they get the shapes from? Where do they decide what to do? I mean, I've, we've heard those instances of people predicting one that's man-made that happens or people manifesting them through their consciousness somehow. I mean, it's just well, not, as, the, it's well, not well, as simple. That's one of the interesting things is that, is that uh, the people who claim they make them, and then there are, let me say this straight out, there are people that go out and make crop circles, and some of them are very good. Um, uh, they say that there cannot be another intelligence that acts invisibly it only acts through us. So we just get this weird inspiration at 10 o'clock <laughs> yeah. at night after we've left the pub, right, to get our boards and rush out in the field. And we're possessed by this intelligence that makes us make the crop circles. That's their explanation, okay? So, But when you say, well, you know, is it possible that this intelligence can do it without you guys, right? It can just, you know, if it's, if it's this supreme being. No, it's not possible. I can only do it through us, right? And then when you question these guys, right? Okay, so this one, this one that is laying on this ground that um, is uneven and so on. How did you formulate the radius of that? Or you know, um, what went on with the um, the geometry of making that circle? And you mentioned like pi r squared and simple things that you learn in high school. And then you find these guys don't know what pi r squared means. So then they jump to this explanation. Oh, we don't need to know that, right? Because we get possessed by these entities that, that make us make them. And so to me, that's that's an extraordinary claim. It's it's more uh, extraordinary than the than them being made by some other means. I mean, in a, in a lot yeah, of ways. So yeah, yeah. And, and Carl Sagan once said, you know, extraordinary claims requires extraordinary evidence. Well, I've only ever asked these people over twenty five years to give me very ordinary evidence to make a crop circle in front of us to do one of the designs that we've seen and under the same conditions of darkness and yeah. not damage the crop. Yeah. And they never, ever, ever have. We even yeah. put up a hundred thousand pounds reward saying, you know, make this crop circle and nobody stepped forward to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I just want ordinary evidence to, to substantiate their extraordinary claims. Do you think there's uh, not- do you think there's, have you guys doused these areas at all, or is there? Do you think there's le- these are connected to ley lines at all? Especially being in the in the UK, where there's all these, you know, there's all the legends of the ancient stuff and the megalithic sites and ley lines. There's, there's there's a number of people that I'm not a dowser, but there's a number of colleagues, friends, peers that I know that have doused them. They say that they are on energy nodal points and so on and so forth. Um, 
you know, I, I believe in Chinese medicine and, and, and science hasn't been able to sufficiently explain the meridian system in the body yet or, or discover or locate it. But I believe it exists because the medicine's been around for sort of 8,000 years. So, so I'm, you know, and they, and, and they talk about dragon lines and so on, the Chinese. So I'm quite happy to believe that there are these energy uh, points around the landscape that, that the crop circles use and interact with. One other thing that um, Lucy Pringle, the researcher, who's a veteran researcher who's been around for years, she's done some scientific research which shows that people who enter, it was a discovery made by accident, actually. Somebody with Parkinson's went into a crop circle and they found that their dyskinesia, their shaking had stopped for 24 hours, or not stopped, but been greatly reduced. And so that spurred Lucy into doing some scientific research where she went along with a professor from Stanford and some other scientists, and they monitored people's um, brainwave activity before they went into a crop circle, when they were in there, and when they left. And they found that, um, that there's a spike in gamma um, activity in people's brains when they go into crop circles. And interestingly, um, latest research on Parkinson's has been that they're experimenting with um, stimulating gamma uh, activity in patients to reduce their dyskinesia. Wow. So there's been a kind of correlation. So, you know, there's there's that kind of slightly more than anecdotal evidence because it's been done by peer-reviewed scientists. And, and you have to add the, add the caveat that most most respected scientists as soon as you mention crop circles that you're doing crop circle research they run a mile because of the stigma that's attached with being involved in anything like that but the, the ones that have got engaged have found this evidence to be more than statistically chance the chance that people get affected by energies when they go in them it seems to be oh. changing oh go ahead darcy dog oh. No worries. Um, I was just going to answer a couple questions a little bit late here. I wanted to make sure I had all the facts up in front yeah, of me yeah, first. Yeah. But um, sorry, I'm just getting to know you guys. So you're Graham. Graham. I'm Graham. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Darren. Yeah. So Darren asked, which comes first, right? Yeah. Um, people making crop circles or the crop circles appearing, and um, you know, the interesting that interesting thing that Gary brought up was intention. Um, I think he mentioned, and you guys also mentioned intention, you know, something. And that's what Darren's getting at, I think. Yeah. 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 And um, there's a history of intention with crop circle formations showing up. Uh, If we go way back before the 1970s, there's the story of the devil shall mow. This happened in 1678. And uh, there was supposedly a argument between a rich farmer and a poor farmer. Um, you know, we, we have the old copper tablets from the early printing press proving that this was an event that happened. And uh, the rich farmer's property was donned with this circle, this crop circle. And uh, it was said to be done in perfect symmetry Um, It was laid out. There was some other phenomenon of orbs or fires above the crop shown the night before, which we've heard of crop circles having uh, orbs present whenever they've been revealed to the public. And some of those are shown, the orb videos have shown up on video throughout, uh, you know, the 2000s and such. But um, This story is a story of intention. 
one farmer wanted to eventually actually mow the field and the other one just said, screw it. I don't even care anymore. I'd rather the devil mow the field than you help me. And it got mowed. There was an intention there. You know, it got the formation showed up and this is something that does happen. There, there are humans out there that have manifested crop circles in modern times, you know, that have wanted to see a crop circle and they have appeared. Um, I was talking to um, somebody recently, a British guy, Graham, uh, he wrote Silver Screen UFOs, but um, yeah, he told know, me- Yeah, we know who you're talking about. We've had him on the show. Um, Nichols, maybe? No? No. No, no. That's, uh, uh, his name starts with an R, doesn't it? Raji? Roger? Oh, oh yeah. Robbie, 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 Robbie Graham. Robbie, Robbie Graham. Graham. <laughs> Robbie Graham. So, yes, there we go. We pulled it together. <laughs> so, he told me he never believed in crop circles, yeah. but he believed in the power of intention. Right. And that- formation that showed up where it was obviously man-made um that it was a gray alien head just perfectly in in the middle of a, a little circle in the crop that showed up just down the road from him like pretty much a month after he said this summer i want to go and see a crop circle i want to actually do a bit of investigation into it and he wrote a whole article on um mysterious universe on their website about this strange event people can google it and uh robbie graham crop circle mysterious universe and he talks about how he made the intention it it manifested itself and there was some kind of creepy guy there to i don't know it's, it's a funny story anyways but um i'm just saying that there's intention at least and sometimes people also see elements of the UFO phenomenon happening. And so I would like to think that we're not floating around on this like cosmic starship we called earth and we're alone in the universe. I'd like to think that there's other intelligence out there that's trying to interface with us. And I think crop circles are a bit of a loophole. If you think about the long history that we've had engaging with them in our own skies with military forces, trying to shoot them down, you know, very aggressively, we don't want them in our airspace. We consider this ours. Um, crop circles and maybe the technology that is used to deploy some of them. I'm not saying all crop circles, but this is my theory. Um, might be a way of sending a message to us that's a super peaceful. It's not something you can shoot down. You can only cut it down. Um, and the ones that show up under super mysterious circumstances that are still growing, that aren't, you know, damaged by wood boards and rope, which we know Doug and Dave used to make theirs and other crop circle, uh, makers have made who are human. Um, they seem to stand the test of time in terms of proving that there's some other intelligence making these with a technology that's a little bit different from ours. It seems like the crop is sometimes almost bent to some kind of force. Uh, and Gary's talked about this before that 
uh, W.C. Levengood, a scientist from state of Michigan, he addressed, he actually did a lot of samples of different crop formations that showed up over the years. And uh, he actually was involved in researching the 777 event that Gary witnessed himself. And what W.C. Levengood noticed in many of these crops, and later uh, he created a patented technology off of this, he noticed that there was plasma energy inside of the soil or there was maybe not inside of it, but it looked like the effects of what plasma energy could do to the crop and to the soil that's sitting under it. Um, and interestingly enough, I've been talking to a UFO researcher, uh, Larry Lowe recently, and I was talking the other day to, uh, um, the gentleman involved in the Rendlesham events in, in the UK, uh, John Burroughs and he, both of them have information regarding the UK's UFO study. Uh, they did their own UFO study. We're, we're not even talking about the uh, information drop that happened yesterday, which was pretty negligible. Um, <laughs> but in the UK study, they surmised that this UFO activity exhibits very noticeable plasma radiation wherever it goes. They also noted in this UK study that there's a certain signature of radiation in this plasma that was exhibited at the Rendlesham event and possibly was exhibited by um, other events around the world that have been notable UFO events that are hard to debunk. Huh, that's fascinating. And, and yet, WC Levengood and other researchers that are credible scientists that have approached this phenomenon seriously have also noticed uh, what they would say are characteristics of plasma interacting with the crops. I think there's a connection. Can I just go back on, on Darren's point? Cause I kind of went off on a tangent about communicating back. Sure. Is that okay? Um, yeah, you talked about doing a brand logo, making a crop circle to kind of communicate back. And many people have made the suggestion and indeed tried it. Weetabix have done it. And, you know, Richard and Judy, TV hosts in the UK and a bunch of other stuff. But if somebody spoke to you in a language that you don't understand, do you think that communicating back to them with an English logo is an appropriate response to a language that you don't understand? Or do you think that we should understand what the language is about first? I think uh, you understand by interacting and experiencing. So if you interact, if you interact with a Russian person and you don't speak Russian, eventually you'll understand what he's saying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> give us a give us a give us a month together in the bush, and I think after a month we'll uh, we'll be communicating on a level that's passable, and within six months we'll be communicating on a fairly high level. Yeah, what, what happens in language studies with that, when, when the British took slaves from Africa, they all, they, one of the ways they kept them organised was to bring people together, you know, 800 slaves or whatever, who didn't speak the same languages because they couldn't communicate, they couldn't rebel. And what you say is correct. After six months, they began to speak like a kind of pidgin and then a Creole kind of language mixed with the English that they heard from the, the, um, 
the slave owner and mixing words that they kind of understood between each other. But this is a this is a written form of language in this, in a language of form. Of, of predominantly, there's five um, categories: geometry, uh, philosophical and religious symbols, animals and nature, astronomy, and then a completely abstract form. And I, and it's, and I went back to university in 2004 to study language and communication to try and get an understanding of meaning. And um, geometry is considered to be number in space. A square is four and a triangle is three and so on. And when you bring certain forms together, they either work harmoniously or disharmoniously. It's not like an alphabet which represents the sounds we make. It's actually... <clears throat> a language that's embedded into nature, the Fibonacci sequence and so on and so forth. So I, before I understood what these crop circles were, were sort of talking about, um, I had to understand that they were talking about a language that seems to be embedded in reality. But after 25 years, I really don't know how I would respond to that by solving, for example, square and circle problems more convincingly or so on and so forth. So I don't, I don't see what a branded logo, like your logo or Weetabix's logo or whatever, would do to comprehensively respond to the language that they're using. Mine would mostly be for marketing. I'm hoping it'll get in the paper. But, uh, I mean, I would say if you're trying to communicate with them, you'd want to be doing things like the Fibonacci sequence or you sacred know, geometry, sacred geometry, things like that. What about cymatics? Do you think cymatics are some sort of force like that could be playing a role here? I mean, in, in some well, of them at well, least. What cymatics reveals to us is that there is an order to nature based on musical whole number musical ratios. Pythagoras was credited with understanding that music is made up of whole number ratios. Apparently the story goes that he was walking past a blacksmith's office and he heard the blacksmith hitting the anvil. And you got these two tones, which were the same but different. And so he went into the blacksmith's office and said, why am I hearing these tones? And when the blacksmith told him that he was using a six-pound hammer and a 12-pound hammer, Pythagoras immediately realized there was a two-to-one ratio in an octave, what we hear. So if you take a length of string, for example, the E string, the top string on a guitar, the whole string, you pluck it, you get an E. If you put your finger at the halfway point, dividing it into two-to-one, pluck it again, you get an octave, an E higher. So there is a relationship that comes from the seven liberal arts, the study of the seven liberal arts, where geometry is music in, is number in space, but music is number in time. And our consciousness seems to be wired to recognize these whole number ratios, which make up the musical scale. Even if you don't understand music, if someone throws in a bum note, you get it, right? You know that there's a bum note in there, even if you don't understand it. And music is made up of these whole, these whole number ratios just by simply the lengths of a string, three to one, two to one, four to one. And then when we look out into the cosmos and we see the relative sizes of the orbits of the planets and the relative distances between the planets, they are all whole number ratios, which is where the harmony of the spheres uh, term, terminology came from. So, so we see what's embedded in nature and we are a part of nature and, and we have the ability to look out at nature and scratch our heads and figure it out. We find that we are a reflection of all of that that's out there and that's why we recognize music to be harmonious or disharmonious, just like geometry. Fantastic. Um, man, there's so, so many places to go here. So do you, I guess getting back to, back to the UFO thing and, and what you, 
you said, oh, people don't want to look at the crop circles. And I mean, we've this has been going on for years, decades now. I mean, do you think there's been a, an increase in interest or acceptability to the mystery with the whole soft disclosure that's been happening since, you know, this UFO has been accepted in the mainstream media a little bit. I mean, I've even had friends say, Hey, Oh yeah, I saw it in the New York times. New York, New UFOs are real. Now you're not so crazy. That kind of thing. I mean, this really uh-huh. is getting to the point where people are accepting the mystery a little bit more. So they must be accepting crop circles a little bit more in the last couple of years. I don't think crop circles are at that point yet. Um, UFOs are something <laughs> people's minds can attach to a lot easier than this phenomenon just because it's a craft, you know, or at least people assume that it's something that's hovering around flying and, and people can conceptualize that pretty well. Uh, crop circles, again, mainstream media has won the war on that. And, uh, you know, uh, Doug and Dave Chorley did their damage in the 90s and ever since it's been said that they're man-made wow it's a very sort of subculture narrative that crop circles may be made by a different intelligence than us wow um yeah for sure i mean like it's it's not a very there's people you know you even go to i was at a conference the ufo mega conference uh a week and a bit ago and um you know a lot of people think that crop circles aren't like are nothing but man-made art and then you (laughs) tell them like well what about the message that was sent to space by carl sagan in 1974 and we got a we got like a really intricate answer to that in the form of a a agroglyph in 2001 and they're like what and i'm like yeah seriously like there was a message that was included encoded and sent through the air SIBO, uh, you know, uh, telescope, the, the radio telescope that's massive and now completely destroyed, uh, out in Puerto Rico, um, that shot into the stars, our calling card. We got a calling card returned in 2001. You can look it up. It's just the, the Arecibo reply or chill Bolton crop circle 2001. And it showed up with two formations in one night no one came forward and said oh we made that and this is what it means we had to like decipher what it meant and we only figured it out over a number of years so um there is there is messaging you know darren was saying can we send a message to them and apparently somebody received a different techno technological sort of message we sent out to space and they sent back a peaceful one uh, that, you know, has been widely reported within the UFO community, but on mainstream news, you yeah. never hear about it, really. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. Um, so, you know, UFOs, the soft disclosure that's happening now is more of a confirmation. It's not disclosure the way that we would fully um, want it to be. It's just confirming, look, we know that something's going on in our skies. Um, You've given us a year to prepare, you know, this document. So this is what we can do in that time. It wasn't like a, sorry, it was less than a year, you know, but if you're an illiterate on the subject, um, you would think that that's all the military knows at this point, but we know you know, post 
1947. There's been an active cover-up every decade that's gone on since then, and there's been many highly credible UFO events that have been recorded to the military, uh, the Navy, you know, every every intelligence agency out there, uh, research agencies like NASA know about it. It's all a cover-up, and um, we're just getting this confirmation for the public, for the masses, so that they can slowly start to do things that are in their favor. Um, and this is also a way, a ploy to uh, attract public acceptance for military funding in the public. You know, this is that, what you would call white budget funding. That's, not that's the black, sense I got, yeah. Not black yeah. budget funding. Yeah. And everything that's happened in the past has all had to been been black. But we're at this point in our time, you know, there's so many types of technology that are surrounding us every day. Um, and in order for us to start to go into space and start to do these things that we've been supposedly not doing, but um, that we're going to be doing in, in a public way, um, we need to have this subject out there publicly and said to said to be studied publicly and funded uh therefore publicly for certain types of technologies to start to leak into the public uh so that you know we're not our minds are just exploding when things beyond you know the starlink and the tesla technology and the uh hyperloops and all that stuff start being constructed that that's just like you know this scratching the surface of the types of technologies that the military industrial complex have been testing without public view you know and if we're going to start to get some of that leaked within the public we need to have this confirmation and then start to make inroads towards that publicly and that's what to the stars academy was they said one of their missions with Hal Putoff and Kit Green and, you know, scientists on that, in that organization publicly, their mission was to try and make technology public. That is um, what we're seeing the militaries interact with in the skies. You know, that's just, we're just seeing, even though T TTSA has been pretty much disassembled, we understand it's still going on, you know, that that intention is still there to carry out everything that they had uh, set out to do from the beginning. So we're talking about you're talking about the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the preliminary assessment on unidentified aerial phenomena, right? Which yeah, was, preliminary which was, assessment. Which was, yeah, which was yesterday. So before I have a sort of a bunch of que questions and comments on that, do you want to mention, do you want to talk about that at all, um, Gary? Um, <clears throat> well, it's pretty much what I expected it to be. I haven't read it yet, but um, I've been having, let's say, um, um, vigorous debates with Jaime Malsan here in Mexico about what he thinks is going to be disclosed and what I think is going to be disclosed. And I've been saying for several months that, along with what um, Darcy says, that he's going to justify military, more, more increased military spending in, in, in the white arena rather than the black arena about these things. And 
and and and it's not going to appease most ufologists or people that have been you know <laughs> dedicating their lives i mean the, uh, some of the footage i see we've we've done five shows i translate the shows from spanish to english um, that we broadcast here for Tersa Millenio. And uh, we're on the fifth installment now of the CIA disclosure. Uh, I, I, I published it yesterday, the fifth investigation that's been done by a journalist here called Ruben Maria Toro and um, uh, Alfonso Salazar. They've painstakingly gone through these CIA disclosure documents. And, and, and there it is, right? You've got military aircrafts that are flying at UFOs, scrambled from various bases around the world, shooting at these, these, these um, aircrafts and so on. And then these things just zip off in a second, you know, defying the laws of physics, make right-angled turns that if there was any kind of sentient being inside would be squished based on the laws of gravity. This stuff's been around for ages. And so we're looking now at a report that says, yeah, there's something there. We don't know what it is. Um, we're going to look into it and uh, we'll let you know. What, yeah. what CIA disclosure docs are you talking about? Is that from the reading room, like the CIA reading room? or? Yeah, yeah. You remember they did a big dump yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, they released it in dump. June, yeah. Beginning of yeah. June. No, no, no. There was stuff that was released earlier on in the year that was like just after they. Oh, said January. That, uh, I'm sorry, January. So this I was is, but this is Jay's wrong. Is this in the same like uh, read the CIA reading room that they had from before? They just added yeah, more to it. Or? Released, it was released, and it was all kind of pretty difficult to decipher. It was on old technology, and it meant that someone's got to you know be nerdy and sit down and go through it all and piece it together and. And so, you know, this guy, Alfonso Salazar, is a bit of an expert. He's an aeronautical expert, and he's also been involved in the UFO phenomenon for years. And, you know, some of the journalists at home he's got working for him are pretty pretty au fait with the subject. So they've painstakingly gone through these reports and pieced them together. And I think, we, as I say, we did the fifth installment yesterday. When I translate it to English and then I create the voiceovers to put it out there and you know, we put it with graphics and all the rest of it, some animation and some of the stuff. There's no footage that's been released, but but it's, you know, it's authenticated military stuff where the CIA investigated, and it's incredible. And it's far, far, far more comprehensive and startling than what we've seen in this disclosure right, document right. yesterday. Can, yeah. we, can, we, can you send me links to that, by the way, before we... Uh, sure. it'd, be, it'd be good to see that before yeah. I forget, and I'll put it in the show notes for people. Go ahead, Darcy. Sure. Oh, I was going to say, like, I've read a bunch of that stuff, too, and, and it's the best information we've ever received. You know, the funny thing is that uh, researchers like John Greenwald or Stan Friedman have come forward in the past and they've asked for, you know, Freedom of Information Act uh, documents on certain events that we know that the military has collected, the Air Force or, uh, you know, the Navy have collected uh, information on. And all they send back is a sheet of paper with the title and everything else blacked out, redacted, so that nothing can be used against them in proving that that was a credible UFO event. So yeah, the CIA documents are crazy. I mean, I read two cases. One case was in Sweden um, where a craft was observed um, and, and an, another case was in Russia. And that just right there proves, you know, if the CIA is collecting UFO events from around the world in other countries, they're dealing with other intelligence organizations from outside of the United States 
They're definitely dealing with Canada. We know that NORAD has plenty of UFO documents that they've collected over the years, and Canada is part of NORAD. Um, this means that what people like Stephen Bassett have been saying for years, that, that there's this truth embargo. And what the truth embargo really means is that there's a NDA in place between many countries, intelligence agencies, and the United States military and industrial complex, their intelligence agencies. And that NDA, non-disclosure agreement, is saying, you guys can't release this stuff to the public. You can send us your information. We can work together and try and figure out what this stuff is when it happens. Uh, but we're saying don't say a thing because this is destabilizing to our paradigm. This is destabilizing to how we run the economies, how we run the, the social psyche of our countries. So don't release this information. That's what it means to me. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, and they don't mention any of that in this in this report. It says nothing about the the uh, civilian reporting, the civilian tracking, all the decades of work that we've been doing in this, in the community over the years, or like what you said, all the other intelligence agencies and all the kids, the CIA, nothing about all any of that. It's just, yes, there's some anomalous stuff going on here. Uh, we're going to investigate an AI, uh, invest in AI and machine learning bullshit to figure out more of it. And, and it's, and, uh, so do you consider it disclosure though? I mean, could you, could you not say that this is like capital D disclosure? I mean, this is what capital the public D. capital capital D disclosure is. <laughs> we are, we know that there's aliens or we know that there's they, we maybe know, we know an artificial something. intelligence that's not from our planet that's interfacing with, with right. ours. Okay, so this you would know, be like... I would go further than that. I would go further than that. I would say capital D disclosure is saying um, we, have, we have actively, not only do we know that there's stuff there, but we have actively covered it up we have, in the in the early days in the early days we sent guys around to threaten you and said look you know if you say this we're going to ruin your career and then we created a culture where if you mentioned it you, stigma was attached to you that said you know you're a crazy person or you're mad you know yeah. or, or you're bad you're a bad person that's trying to sell books or whatever yeah. when they when they come out and say we did this to you and we've done this to you for the last seven, uh, 70 odd years then i would say we've got capital dis D disclosure okay that's at the moment that's we've fair. got completely decontextualized videos these grainy gray videos or green videos with a little triangle on you couldn't get a more pe a piece of communication that's more decontextualized that means nothing when people ordinary people who don't really know much about it look at it compared to what we know is really out there yeah 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 that's a good point yeah so darcy this kind of goes into your ssp work right your your upcoming thing which uh i'm looking forward to seeing on the secret space space program and all that i mean sure how does that um, connect to all that so that is just if, if you talk about this truth embargo you talk about this um NDA non-disclosure agreement that I believe is in place, then you have to extend that law that must have been written at some point in time by the militaries, by the intelligence agencies to keep this information from also getting out from our research agencies. And a perfect example of that research agency would be NASA. 
NASA, as people may note, is a public research space agency. But that's not what it is. It's a tool of the military industrial complex. It's the tip of the spear when it comes to gathering data from space. And space is the ultimate frontier that the United States, we know this has been documented since the 1970s, since they first started uh, formulating the concept of the Star Wars program, which was announced under Ronald Reagan's administration. These things have been talked about within the military for a long time. And the major onset, the major uh, term and, and the major sort of mission for them was we must dominate space in order to dominate the planet. That's what the Americans space um, research really was all about. They wanted to make sure that they were at the frontier before everybody else, that they understood it before everybody else. They understood what was out there before anybody else so that they could control it better than anybody else. And um, secret space is not about, uh, you know, Captain Falco and his, square square being alliance or uh cube being alliance being out there you know i'm trying to like get around a lawsuit by bringing up stuff that's shown up on gaia before but um it's not about like this mythical uh race of aliens that are trying to come and save planet earth from ourselves to me secret space is a well-documented history of milita militarizing space, researching space, observing UFOs in space since the onset of traveling to space. We're talking 1960s when the very first X-15 space plane was built. This was a plane that was attached to the side of a bomber, to a, a, a wing of a bomber. It launched off of it, went into space. And these were the very first designations of a NASA astronaut. It was a combination between the Air Force and NASA to carry out the X-15 missions. And since the very onset of space exploration, even though that was just scratching the surface, we were seeing UFOs and the pilots document that they see those UFOs. They took pictures, they took film. And since the very first X-15 mission, they were told, when you go back up there, part of your mission is to collect more UFO data. Huh. Yeah. And that's NASA in, in collaboration with the Air Force. And that's the starting of the program. And, and NASA has had um, research studies that they've done in collaboration with uh, military think tank organizations. Um, you know, I can mention the Brookings Institute uh, in 1960 in December. They assembled NASA's the best of their scientists and the Brookings Institute. And they did a study. What would happen? What are the proposed implications of mankind going into space and learning things that are completely different from our normal paradigm of thinking? And the two major things that they concluded in that study, which 
absolutely had to be kept from the public. Okay, this is a study that lays the foundation for classifying information regarding UFOs and and energy, exotic energy or energy sources that are more than just burning shit, which is what we've been doing for the past hundreds of years, um, thousands of years, is the two major points that they concluded in that study just before they started the X-15 missions and going into space as a space agency was we must at all costs keep from the public um, energy discoveries that are related to, at that time, it was nuclear atomic rocket energy um, technology and face-to-face meetings with extraterrestrials. You know, and and then additionally to that, you have the military industrial complex way back in the Eisenhower administration, creating one of the very first executive orders, you know, under the Trump administration, there was, I felt like a executive order being signed into effect every half day of the year. But, uh, you know, executive orders were pretty rare back in the day. And Eisenhower signed into effect executive order 10. 501. You can Google that. You can pull it up. You can read every single information, every piece of that executive order. And that was the very first law that allowed intelligence agencies like CIA, FBI, you know, you name it, NSA, um, and research agencies. Because like I said, NASA is a research agency that is going to, whenever they get data, they're going to link that data back to who? Intelligence agencies and eventually to academic institutions. But it doesn't just go right from NASA to an academic institution. No way. Um, When you look at that document, they say that they're trying to safeguard the national interest and the security of the United States. And by safeguarding, they mean protecting our way of life. And in 1952, that's a very simple way of life by today's standards. You know, we have so many things that have upped the ante since then women's rights, you know, um, multiple race rights, all kinds of things that have we've done stride leaps and bounds in terms of um, our socio and intellectual development. But back then, they feared that certain things could come out, which are exemplary in the Brookings report, like energies or um, things that could damage the social psyche, socioeconomic nature of the United States economy. And those would be, again, energy or the announcement that, you know, there, there is something out there that's more advanced than us, more intelligent than us, and we are but ants compared to them, you know? How does how does the the private institutions figure into that though? I mean, the, the, who's flying around in all these massive black triangles? Then I mean, and what it, what did they what if they go up there in that X fifteen and they see people that are already up there in the, in this other secret space program that has been developed in the past under the you know the the U S 
the, you know, their current NASA might not even know about or, or, and then, and then is, is there a deep state right now? Is there a deep state battle over not disclosure so much as the narrative? I mean, Trump came out with space force, but I mean, Clinton and, and, uh, and Podesta wanted to just, you know, they they came up with the whole UAP thing publicly before, Trump got elected. It feels like they've, you know, even Podesta is getting involved again now somehow. But I mean, I feel like there's a battle over the narrative. But but what about the non-governmental space program? Like, to me, it should all be in been in private by then. So if you're talking about like black budget, black projects, you know, that's the money that's funneled through the military industrial complex into testing out things um, for absolutely sure i i'm i'm confident that there are members of nasa that would know about these projects but because of the nature of how you don't have the right to access this information just because you're part of nasa you know it's it's deeply deeply compartmentalized some of these projects so maybe a team of scientists within NASA who are specially selected, possibly were put into working for NASA throughout the years by the military industrial complex. That happens. You know, you have scientists that are transferred from certain wings of the defense agencies into some of these research agencies. I mean, if you look at Kit Green, for example, and Hal Putoff, these are two men that were like, one was working for the CIA, you know, early on in his career. And these are, you know, physicists and uh, high scientific scientists, but they worked for intelligence agencies and now they're in the private sector. So that also happens. You have scientists that get brought in under military and intelligence agencies, because when they're brought into uh, projects and they come up, you know, when they're younger, if they're learning about classifications and secrecy and compartmentalization and knowing that if they're working on a project, they have to be very quiet about it. And then they leave that world and they go into the private, that way of life that they started with doesn't leave them. So then you get them going and working for corporations like Rand Corporation or Bechtel or, you know, uh, the National Geospatial Institute, which many researchers recently have said is a scientific wing of the NSA. And a lot of people have been looking into the national, if you Google it, it just looks like a normal sort of geeky scientific institution but they are deeply embedded in they're they're basically like the right hand of the NSA in space and they've been uh apparently Danny Sheehan I interviewed him you can look this hour and a half interview I did with Danny Sheehan on my YouTube it, um we get into that and he says from what he's done in his research about that organization that is the organization this uh, third-party research organization that answers to the NSA largely 
have the documents, all of the official documentation on what happened at the 1947 Roswell crash. Huh. Yeah. You know, so that's just an example that um, these private corporations can be involved in these very black operations that are going on and also securing information about the history of the UFO subject. Um, and if you're thinking about black triangles, like TR3Bs is one that comes up all the time in, in the study of UFOs. The Navy, you know, we, we got this uh, information release this year, and apparently there's a patent that the Navy submitted for exactly what we're seeing in terms of the technology of the TR3B. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it might not even be that, that it might be the bigger, I mean, I've, I know people personally that have seen massive ones that aren't necessarily the TR3B and I don't necessarily think those are ETs or anything either. I mean, it could just, I feel like they've been, there's humans flying around in there that aren't part of the U S until the U S you know, uh, secret space program, the, the U the official sort of U S sort of slash NASA thing. Well, I think when we talk about secret space, we're literally talking about Navy. We're talking about sometimes the Air Force um, using NASA to launch craft into space, sometimes even satellites that are used for what people consider like Solar Warden, you know, a satellite system that was created in the earlier years, like of the 80s and the 90s and, and maybe even late 70s that are used to go out to the periphery of our solar system and monitor what's coming in, who's coming in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I talked to Richard Doty recently and in, in this interview I recorded, he said, you know, I, I had seen in my time documentation that proved that um, NASA was being used to take S the STS up and then deploy these Air Force satellites <laughs> that are connected to this new, uh, you know, data yeah, yeah. Um, investigation uh, black project to research what's coming into our solar system from the per periphery. Wow. Fast walkers. Wow. Yeah. So I think um, there's so much about secret space. And if you look at even the space force that Trump signed into power, Trump's a pro, super pro military guy, right? The generals could say, uh, hey, we want you to uh, set up a deep ocean force can you sign this new bill? And he'd be like, sure, let's do it. You know, he would just sign it. Uh, apparently, you know, I've been speaking to some researchers about the space force particularly. And, and that again is linked to the star Wars project that um, was, um, you know, pretty intense during the 1980s when Reagan was uh, announcing that the, the plans for that. Well, every president since then, they've been trying to launch the Space Force. But every president, Clinton said no, uh, Bush Jr. said no, and then Trump comes along 
And he's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. He was just the perfect president to make that a public organization. And again, if you look at the document drop that came yesterday, this is just a public intention. You know, it's, it's to make something public. Eventually, we're going to get more and more things that are going public. And the Space Force is a public intention of we're out there in space, you know, with our military and doing certain operations. But that's been going on for a long, long time. It's just the first time that we're making it public. It's a public justification for all that Ex- now. Right? Exactly. Wow. D- Gary, do you want, do you have any thoughts on all this? I know you're more of a crop circle oh. guy, but. Uh, no, it's, uh, that, that Darcy's just gone over a load of information that I wasn't even aware of. As I say, I'm not a ufologist really. I, I, I work in ufology by translating shows into English. Um, and, and I do uh, yesterday, for example, I've, on my third occasion, I've been presenting crop circle, my crop circle research to the military generals here in Mexico. Have you seen uh, any, anything strange besides that, like seven, seven, seven night, like as far as UFOs or anything go? I've, I've seen yeah, I've seen me and my son years ago when I first started getting into the crop circles. I've seen uh, very fast balls of light flying in the sky, which I can't explain. I don't know whether there are any beings in them that look, look green or yeah, gray yeah, or yeah. whatever. At nighttime or daytime? Uh, one was in the day where it shot out a, a kind of a line in front of it and then seemed to ride it. And weirdly, my son and I, we were at a festival and we were walking along and both of our heads were just turned to look up and... There it was. Wow. Uh, and then, then the next night at the same festival, there were three of us, my son, my, myself, and a, and a friend, and, and, we, and we saw this huge ball of light pulsating that came past us and flew off at a, a rapid speed, and then another one intersected it in the sky. That's about it. I, I, from, from that, I know that there's something up there that we can't explain that seems to defy the laws of physics, but I, that's about as far as I've gone with the ufology studies. I'm very interested in... I gave a presentation, I was asked to give a presentation in Glastonbury a couple of years ago about UFOs because people know that I interact with ufologists. And so, but my, 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 um, my lecture was based on the Westall incident in, in Australia in 66 and the Zimbabwe incident in 94, the aerial school, because I was more focused on how people respond to witnesses. I consider that people who step forward, who are brave enough to step forward and say, oh, I saw something, once they've overcome the, oh, what drugs were you on kind of comments and all that, they they um, they get treated quite hard. They get treated quite badly, particularly these children in Westall. You know, they were told that they, they were crazy, that they were, um, you know, there's no such thing as aliens and that they mustn't talk about it anymore. And it was one of the teachers who recently gave an interview on Australian TV, Mr. Mr. I've forgotten his name, um, he he said I was I was visited by two men in black who told me they'd ruined my career, so I was an alcoholic and uh, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it anymore. So I'm very interested in because because I think that the crop circles and the UFO phenomenon tells us more about ourselves than it does about the phenomenon. It reflects us back to us. It shows us how we treat each other when yeah. we say step outside these normal boundaries. And so that's more of my interest, really, rather than you know the. Ronald Reagan and space and I get, yeah, I, I get running. it. I think that's fascinating. Darren, do you got comments? No, no, I was just going to ask where people can track you guys down if they want to, uh, I mean, not come to Mexico and show up at your house, but maybe 
follow your work, get a hold of some of these uh, episodes you're translating over into English. Uh, Darcy, your documentaries, where can we find all that stuff? Yeah, it's been a great chat. Um, yeah, so people can just head over to the website. It's occultjourneys.com. Uh, I have the film trailers up there, description of what they would be getting into if they watched it. And uh, if they just click on the movie poster, it goes through to a site that they can stream the film from or whatever. Um, I also have a YouTube. It's Esoteric Review. Um, I post my film trailers there. Some of my interviews that I've done with, you know, like Danny Sheehan and uh, stuff like that over the years. Um, and I'm going to be doing a bit of a podcast, uh, some stuff for uh, people to check out. So yeah. When, when's your, when's your SSP coming out? It comes out, uh, July the 6th. So in like, wow, not too long. Yeah. yeah, It's great. It's been, it's been going through distribution so they take okay. a while to qc it and all that stuff yeah okay and then and then gary what do you got coming up in the future um nothing major in the pipeline i've, I've been working on a book for years which i've rewritten god knows how many times um and i'm still working on that um it's not going to be oh they crop circles can't be man-made because of this there will <laughs> obviously be elements of my research which 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 i think raises serious doubt on that explanation but it's going to be a kind of mixture of um, what the crop circles mean and my own journey through it, which I think edifies, uh, you know, the kind of different realizations that I came to and how it changed my life along the way. So kind of going to be a mishmash of that. Um, uh, I'm based in Mexico at the moment, working for Jaime just to translate his shows into English and also doing uh, various interviews. I'm, 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 I'm asked to do interviews uh, you know, on podcasts and all the rest of it around the around the world on various occasions, like military generals. That's been a very surreal one. I've been to I've been to India. I've been embraced by gurus that promote world peace and invited to stay in ashrams in India. And 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 then on the next side of the coin, I'm standing with military generals who have the power to cause mass destruction, explaining crop circles to them. So I've <laughs> kind of kind of had this strange journey, really, with people who want to hear about this stuff. Um, I've got a Facebook page and a YouTube channel called Against the Grain, okay. uh, which people can come on and we, we post geometric analysis and photographs and aerial photographs and videos of crop circles. Um, Let us I know. Just sent you a, Go ahead. I just sent you a link to okay. the YouTube channel, Man TV English, okay. in your chat, uh, which was the CIA one that I mentioned earlier. Okay. And you can. There's about 200 videos I've, I've posted on there now with different footage of UFOs and so on. Excellent. Let us know when that book's going to come out too, if it, if it ever does. And we'll, we'll talk about it. That sounds, that sounds interesting. The book, the book, I never, the book that we yeah. never get written. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get lots of people get that think it. it's going to be gluten-free recipes? <laughs> Say that again. Do you get a lot of people coming through that are expecting gluten-free recipes? Yeah. I, 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 I often get asked questions like that as well. I, well, that's that's not one that's high on the agenda. I suppose that's about fourth on the list. The the, the top on the agenda, um, the, the most frequently asked question I get is, why aren't there any crop circles in the winter? Snow that's circles. <laughs> Some snow circles. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on the show, guys. It's been a blast. Uh, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get – I was kind of uh, – 
told there'd be underground bases, uh, but that's okay. Darcy, maybe we'll do that down the road. We can do an underground bases show. Yeah, sure, Darren. Sounds and, good. Uh, but the crop circles are always fantastic. It's a fun chat. I still think we should try and make one. But uh, we'll see if I can convince Graham. I don't, I don't believe in 100%. fake. I don't want to fake this stuff. I don't think that's the right way to go. So if you if you make one, it will be a really cool exercise because you'll see how hard it is <laughs> exactly. to make it look good. Exactly. You imagine you know if I mean? they got a good one beside it like two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, this is how it's exactly. done. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Then you could you say you. Then you could say you talk to an alien. That's right. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. All right, guys. When you do it. When- when you do make one, um, do it in the dark, and you mustn't make any damage to the crop. There okay? you go. No yeah. problem. So yeah. don't bring my extra lawnmower. challenge. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. It's been fun. See you guys. Nice okay. to meet you. Take All care. right, guys. Stay cool Peace. down there in Mexico. No, we'll try. Peace. Got the AC blaring. Ciao for now. Peace. Bye. Don't end it. Oh, too late. And the link was in there. Oh, no. Damn it. Yeah, it's too late. And, right? okay. uh, it's gone. I'll get, I'll get and it. And that was our chat with uh, <laughs> Gary. <coughs> I was trying Gary to subtly signal you to get that link out of the chat. Now you got to just like. I'll yeah, email him. It was fine. too subtle. Yeah. Too yeah. subtle. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that was good. Oh, I like that. Uh, it was good timing after the, you know, the soft disclosure yesterday. Some softy yesterday. You got yeah. some softy yesterday. <laughs> Big thanks to Gary and Darcy for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening to the show. Uh, Even bigger thanks, of course, if you are one of the one in a hundred that choose to support our work over here, over at grimerica.ca slash support. If you guys can find a little value from our podcast here, if it's adding some value to your day, to your life, to your commute, your workout, your work day, wherever you're listening, What's the show worth to you? Is it worth 10 cents an episode or 25 cents an episode or 5 cents an episode? Five bucks. Five bucks an episode. You decide. America.ca slash slash support. Sign up for a monthly. Make a one-time donation. Uh, Do something. We do have big plans on the horizon. We're trying to do all sorts of great things around here. And all that helps grease the wheels. Of course, you can head over to GrimericaOutlaw.ca if you want to check out our other podcast over there. You could head over to rockfin.com slash Grimerica if you want to check out our video content over there. we got some other projects coming down the pike as well. We'll let you about, let you know about here in the future. we got adultbrain.ca where the secret doctrine's for sale. Uh, a few other audio books, head out to adultbrain.ca. If you got some authors looking to have their books turned into audio books, you can let us know there as well. Anything else? Do everything That's in the show it, notes. Yeah. We love you, motherfuckers. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Who's going to kill this sacred cow? You were never political anyhow. Since when did you start trusting in the government? Since when was it okay to ridicule and shame your neighbor? Your opinions have become... Your opinions have become as fickle as artificial flavors. What matters most to you? What the TV host told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north or true? Who's gonna kill this sacred cow? You were never religious anyhow. 
Since when did you kiss the ring on the hand of the Pope? Since when do we need pharmaceuticals to cope? Your soul has become, ever-loving soul has become, as brittle as communion wafers. What matters most to you? What the Holy Ghost told you to do? Or a moral compass that points true north, oh true. I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill this sacred cow. Bureaucrats think I'm non-essential anyhow. Since when has our culture become so lowbrow? It's all touchscreens, and nobody has any know-how. Your idea of fun, your idea of fun, is taking a thousand and one photos of your duck face. Matters most to you, what the celebrities most told you was cool, or a moral compass that points true north, oh true. I'm gonna kill. This sacred cow I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill Your sacred cow I'm gonna kill